Perhaps you are like me, and uh, this time, especially during the coronavirus stuff, has been very interesting, and it is um, supposed to be more restful and more productive because you're working from home and all those kind of things, and um, I don't know if that's exactly true. So with our, our we have five kids, and with our kids, uh, we've been uh, running around trying to get lots of things done, and it turns out that I would say probably the television is on more than I would like. Have you gotten to the point in watching television where you know what's on every channel. You know what's gonna be on all the prime stuff. You know what's gonna be on Hulu, you know what's gonna be on Netflix, you know what's gonna be on whatever subscriptions you have to whatever. And so you start scrolling through them to see if there's anything new because you've pretty much memorized the pattern of what should be there. You know what I'm talking about. Everybody's kind of nodding through their masks, I can tell. You know, that's kind of a sad place to be, to be honest with you. We've watched it all, haven't we? We've seen it all, we've streamed it all, it's all been there. It gets me thinking sometimes about what's happening in this time and what are we supposed to be doing about it? Several weeks ago, months now ago, we looked at Romans 8 together and we were looking at what God was telling the church through his word. And we're gonna revisit some of that now because the same question is out there for us, is what are we supposed to do? Uh, perhaps you have really tried to reach out to your neighbors and to serve them and help them. It doesn't go great all the time nowadays. Have you noticed, I've, I've, been, watching, uh, I've been watching with some, some entertainment actually, because I know everything that's gonna be on the television now. So I looked out my window the other day and I could hear a little commotion and a lawn crew was at my neighbor's house across the street. And so uh, I've noticed that the last probably four times they've come, last four weeks in a row, they've cut the grass and done all the stuff and then stood on the porch knocking for about 10 minutes to talk to the owners. And never once have my neighbors opened the door. Never once. Now, they're not trying to dodge the, the bill or something. I know that. Uh, they, for whatever reason, though, are not wanting to connect with these people. They've had their groceries delivered the whole time and everything. They've ventured out of the house very few times. And God bless them. That's, that's fine. And I'm glad that they're being safe. And I'm glad that they're being wise in this time. But it's interesting how if you try to knock on your neighbor's door in past days, they're like, do you want to borrow some butter? And now, not so much. Usually, people will not answer the door at all. Um, last time I had to knock on somebody's door, I don't remember why, I was there at their house, but I knocked on the door and I, you know, knocked several times, and finally the, the lady at the house came out and she opened the door and she goes, oh my gosh, I'm sorry I left you standing here so long, I figured you were the UPS guy. Just knocking on the door, so I just didn't even think anything of it. And so nowadays, people don't even think to open their doors anymore. And so we find ourselves at this time where we're supposed to be more productive, we're supposed to be working on all kinds of stuff. We're supposed to be uh, finding some rest and respite potentially from all these restrictions and not seeing each other. And yet I find myself exhausted. And I bet you do too. So what are we supposed to be doing? Let's read together in Romans chapter 8. If you'll turn your Bibles with me. There's some Bibles back on the back table if you need one. Romans chapter 8. In the book of Romans, Paul is writing to the church there, and he's writing about the unity of the body, and specifically these Greek or Roman Christians and Jewish Christians that are living together, and they're both now united in Christ and united by faith, and yet they are very distinct culturally, and they're trying to figure out how to live together and what that looks like to be the church. And so Paul is writing to them, and he's encouraging them for unity, and the way he's doing that is not to just say, hey, be unified but to instruct them who they are in Christ and what God has done in their lives. And so out of God's actions, out of God's 
uh, impetus of change in these people out of the gospel, that has given the power of the people to then be unified. And so he's reminding them over and over who they are. And in Romans chapter 8, he is again telling the people, this is who you are in Christ. And this is how you live out what it looks like to be a Christian and to serve God, the living God who's ruling and reigning. So here's what we're going to read together. Romans 8. We're going to start at verse 12. Let's read together. Romans 8, verse 12. Here's what it says. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider all the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Praise the Lord for his word. Um, a lot of times when I'm, when I'm doing sermons, I like to ask real questions, which Christy likes because she's an educator and she's, she's always like ready to go with answers, but not everybody likes. So you don't have to answer, but... Is there anything that strikes you? This is a real question, so you can really answer. Is there anything that strikes you as interesting about this passage? Words that surprise you that maybe you didn't expect would be there. Like even Christy's like, whoop. <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Anybody, anybody find anything? What's surprising about the words that Paul chose? What do you think? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. that we are the children of God. Amen. And I always appreciate that verse so much because that's the only way in which we as Christians know that we are born again. Beautiful. Because people constantly might question their own salvation, have a skid, backslide, whatever, and then call their own salvation and question or wonder if they're truly saved. Yeah. This is the only biblical criterion in which we have by which one can measure their own salvation. Mm -hmm. Does the Spirit himself bear witness amen. with our spirit That's good. that we are the children of God? Yeah, amen. And therefore, we can have confidence to know that he has regenerated us as we fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's really good. Anybody else? Any observations? Yes, sir. The, Holy, the Spirit of adoption. Mm-hmm. Yes, amen. Uh, exclusively, it's his work. It's his work, amen. That spirit of adoption, that's good. Anybody else find anything interesting? I found one word in particular interesting. So it doesn't, I'm saying that because it doesn't have to be a super eloquent thing, just something you found interesting. Obligation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good. Which verse is it in? I've, I missed it here. Well, sorry. So then, brethren, we are under, we are 
Oh, debtors, yeah. Under obligation, debtors to the flesh. Yeah, that's really good. That's interesting. That's true. Yeah, that's really good. One that I found interesting, too, is this last part in verse 18 that says, For I, considering that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed, what? To us. To us. You know, sometimes I read that and I think, revealed to the world, revealed in a final accounting. But God is revealing to us. And it's an active thing. It's in the future and it's active. And that's incredible. This idea of the obligation of the debtors is really important. Uh, That ties in, too, with this idea of the spirit of slavery, doesn't it? God didn't give us a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Why would you have a spirit of fear if you're in slavery? Because you don't belong to yourself, right? And so whatever you do is beholden to your master, whether they're pleased with you or not pleased with you. Your bread depends on that. Your life depends on that. Everything that you do is beholden to that person. And easily, God who is over us could have given us that spirit if he wanted. Because he's in charge. He's the creator. He could have said, you will serve me in every way and do everything I said. And there's always a sense of fear. And we do come before God with a sense of fear, don't we? Because he's holy. And we realize that we're not holy. And yet it's not the spirit of fear that we stay in. But instead in this adoption that comes by the Holy Spirit of God, now we cry out, Abba, Father, and we become children of God. And we relate to him as children and not as slaves. Even though we are slaves to righteousness. That's an incredible thing because the obligation, the debt is not to the flesh anymore, that we have to do what it says. We have to live that way. Have you ever been struck with a temptation where you feel like you just have to do some sin? Isn't that an interesting deception that comes upon us? That comes upon us all, that we are debtors, we're we're obligated to have to live that way. And instead, God has broken the chains of slavery to sin and made us now heirs with Christ and children of his that we would live his way. That's incredible. And not only that, but he's going to reveal to us this great glory of Jesus. I I recently took my children, my family camping. We had a wonderful time, and we were really blessed to go uh, have a little camping trip. And so we went to Montauk area. If you've ever been there, it's where the trout hatcheries are and all that kind of stuff. And so we went down, and we, we had a great time. We were the only people of our little group that were in tents. Praise the Lord. Um, camping, camp, listen, I use camping for a lot of illustrations because camping is the worst and it's the best. It's so great and it's so terrible. It is hard. Camping is hard, especially with little kids waking up in the morning. You know, you have this idea like, oh, we're going to sleep in. It's going to be great. My neighbors were up at four in the morning every day for the fishing. Every day. Big diesel truck right outside our tent firing up. Whew, it was. Anyway, praise the Lord. We had a great time. And on our trip, we really did have a great time. And on our trip, we had the opportunity to go with uh, the Adams, who are from our Troy congregation, and they're wonderful people. We had a great time with them. And so, uh, so the whole Adam family was there, and Don and Carol and Jeff and Naomi and uh, Monica and Darren Kassebaum were there, and we had a great time went camping together. And so on one of the days, we had scheduled a, a float trip. Now, when you think of a float trip, what do you think of? Slow and nice and great, right? That's what you think of. Like tubes and you're just hanging out. Well, first of all, the water is negative 1,000 degrees. So it's very cold, very cold water. Um, Like take your breath away cold. Also, we were in canoes. And so if you are in kayaks, if you've ever been in a little kayak guy, um, canoe, 
we're in canoes. So if you've ever been in a canoe, uh, they're very easy to operate, and you just go, no problem. And if you are wanting to test your marriage to see how strong your marriage is, get in a canoe with your wife and small children. And that's how you're going to know if you're okay or not. So canoes, if you've ever done them, you got to paddle, and you have to kind of paddle together. And as you're paddling, uh, you can turn the boat and steer it, uh, but they are not super stable. They're just not very stable boats. And so if you lean too hard, you're going to fall out of the boat. It's really easy to do. And so we decided we were going to go in our canoe. And so my wife, Lisa, was with me, and she's the best, and she knows what she's doing, which was awesome. And um, I did not, which is not. And so we got in our boat, and we had our, our baby, Elena, who was 13 months old. And we had Eden, who was four, in our canoe with us. And so we start going down the river. And so we are going down, and we're having a nice time. We're in the current river. And um, you know, again, I'm picturing like tubes, and you just sort of chat, and, like you all hold ropes or something to stay together. I don't know. Instead, we were in a very, like a six-hour mission to be going down the river. And so uh, at the beginning, we're still kind of figuring out how to do this. And you know, if you, if you paddle a certain way, you're going to turn the boat a certain way. But it's not super intuitive. You've got to figure it out. And so we start going. And pretty quick, we get into some little rapids areas. And uh, before we know it, we're moving pretty fast. And there's a 90-degree turn coming up. So here comes the 90-degree turn. I see it coming. And we're paddling. And I'm trying to get there. And I realize we're not going to make this turn in time. Like, it's just not going to happen. And there's boats in front of us and boats behind us. And we start coming up to the turn. And the turn has a tree that has fallen over the river. And so that's why the big turn is there. And so uh, we get close to it. And we're turning. But the problem is we're coming into the tree sideways now. Because we haven't had enough velocity to get, get through. And so we hit the tree. So the last thing I remember was saying, don't panic, as the water hit the side of the boat and flipped, because this current was really strong. And so all of a sudden, we're in the water. And we have a 13-month-old and a 4-year-old with us. And so the water was so cold, I remember reaching up to the top of the boat and being able somehow to grab onto it. And I came up with a kid, praise God. And so I've got the 4-year-old. And I'm trying to say, do you have the baby? And Lisa's basically saying, you know, why'd you run us into a tree? No, she didn't. <laughs> She's trying to climb out, too. She had the baby. So behind us in the boat was Darren Kassebaum. And Darren Kassebaum, if you know him, he's a good friend of ours. And Darren was with one of his nieces, uh, who is a young teenager, like 13. And they're paddling along. They were like experts. And so uh, Darren suddenly comes up next to me, because as soon as we flipped, Darren just jumped in the water. Because we had the babies with us. We lost glasses, we lost coolers, we lost a chair, we lost clothing items, I think. I don't even know. We lost all kind of stuff, but we didn't lose a baby. And somehow we popped up with those kids. And I'm telling you right now, it was scary. Like, I'm, being, I'm trying to be funny about it, but the reality of coming up, we were in the worst spot. It was the worst spot of the whole trip that we could have gotten stuck. Because that tree was there, couldn't see, and it was deep. And it was cold, and it was fast. It took three guys to get the boat out of the water to try to pull it away from that tree because the current was so strong against it. It was, it was scary. And so we got in the boat, and you got to keep going. We're 20 minutes into a six-hour trip. <laughs> 20 minutes in. And my beautiful wife looked at me, no glasses because she couldn't find them. They were gone. Jeff Adams somehow snorkeled him out of the water 
It was like a miracle. I don't know how that happened. But she looked at me at that point, before we had all the glasses and everything, and she said, uh, I'm done. <laughs> I'm ready to go. We can be done now. I said, sweetheart, I understand. And my beautiful four-year-old daughter said, uh, you flip the boat. I don't want to ride with you. I will ride with, I will ride with Uncle Jeff. And so she went and rode, had a wonderful time with Jeff and Naomi, eating sandwiches in their boat. Our cooler was full of water. We had sandwiches that were soaking wet. We had, oh man. Anyway, praise the Lord. But hey, but ready? We had the babies. We had the babies. It was scary. Um, we finished the trip and it was good. As a matter of fact, on the rest of the trip, we got about five hours in of the six-hour trip and we found a group that was panicking and a boy had fallen from some rocks and broke his leg really bad. And so we ended up not, my boat had little kids in it and stuff, but some of the boats that didn't have kids were able to help navigate them down the rest of the river and get them to safety and get them to where the EMTs were and all kind of stuff. And so praise God, it was a, it was a crazy trip. You know, those are sometimes the, the worst memories and the best memories, aren't they? But I'll tell you what, getting back in the car later at the end, we prayed and we just thanked the Lord for his safety and for preserving us. It could have been really bad. It could have, I mean, the babies had life jackets on and stuff, but it was the worst spot. It could have been really bad. And everybody was laughing at me, but that's okay. That's another story. But God was so good to us. And, you know, my mind kept just going over and over the thing for a long time. So we had about an hour drive back, so we drove back. And then that night as you go to sleep, your mind just gets plagued with things, doesn't it? What a, what a spirit of fear that can come over us. This was a, a scary trip in a moment of God's great salvation. And I got to tell you, if we couldn't cry out, Abba, Father, if we couldn't cry out to God as his children, if we had just a spirit of slavery and fear, if I had done everything wrong in the boat and God in his wrath just looked at me and said, what are you doing? What a different story. But that's not our God. That's not how he is at all. In fact, our God is so kind. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Our God is so kind that when we were perishing in our sin, when we were drowning in the rebellion that we had against God, when we had decided to go our own way, when we thought we could paddle the current our way and not his way, and every one of us have been there, and even in times when we are not fulfilling all the things that God has called us to, when we know Netflix and all of the shows on Netflix better than we know our Bibles, when we're in those times, our God is still so kind to us because he did not spare his own son, but he took his own son and he plunged him into the filth of our condition. He took his own son, Jesus, and brought him down to be born here for us that he who was without sin would live a perfect life, and yet he would be punished for us. Imagine for a moment all of the instinct within you to save your child, to save a child, like Darren jumping in the water for kids not his own, and how that's ingrained in us because it's part of God's character. And yet the Lord did not spare his son, but instead poured out wrath on him so that the current was so strong of God's wrath that he was killed. He died for us that we might have life. Jesus Christ didn't just suffer on the cross. He didn't just get beat. He didn't just have to go through this punishment that wasn't his own. He died for us 
that he would take the full punishment, all of the current of God's wrath poured out onto him and not onto us. And it was his own son, the amazing love of God, that he would not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. And Jesus, as he's dying on the cross, as the wrath of God is being poured out upon him, what does he cry out? But he says, Abba, Father! Abba, of course, meaning in Arabic or in Aramaic, Daddy, loose translation, he cries out to his dad. And then he breathes his last for us. He finishes the debt that we could never pay. And now we have these wonderful words. And Paul, did you know that Abba, Father, is only used four times in the Bible? There's only four times. Two of them are Paul talking about our adoption as God's children. That he's called us by his spirit into this familial relationship with himself. And the only other times it's used in the New Testament is when Jesus is dying on the cross. Did you know the same relationship that Jesus shares with the Father is the adopted relationship that we get to participate in through the Holy Spirit with Christ to the Father also? It's not just that he's the way, the truth, and the life to having a better life. He's not self-help. His gospel is total transformation change that God poured out his wrath onto Jesus. He died for us. He paid the penalty. And that when he rose, he also rose us up with him, adopting us as sons that we who believe in him would not be slaves to sin and not just slaves to God, but instead that we would stand up as heirs and children of God, crying out with the same spirit as Christ himself, Abba, Father. That when we stand before him, we don't stand before him as failures who are broken, who are messed up, and who are ashamed of everything that we've done, even though we are, aren't we? But instead, when God looks at us, he says, my child, my son, and you get to cry out, not master, not savior, not just Lord, not just God. You get to cry out, father, Abba, father, like Jesus did because he's brought us into a relationship like he has. That's incredible. That's incredible. How is it that we can follow the ancient paths? How is it that we can fulfill the commandments of God? How is it that we can do what God has called us to do? What are we supposed to do with COVID around us and all this stuff anyway? And the answer is stand in your adoption, that you are his he has taken the punishment for you. He has made you his. Your life belongs to him. You are a slave of righteousness of his. But more than that, you can stand and say, Abba, Father, I belong to you. You are mine and I am yours. And out of a heart of gratitude now, we remember all that God has done because he by his spirit has applied to us his salvation and made us his own. What a great God we serve. He is the way, the truth, the life, not just so that we would have better lives, but that we would have true life in him. There's only one way to come before God. There's only one way to be at peace. There's only one way to know him, and that way is through Jesus Christ. If we try to come with our own merit, it will fall short every time. It will fall short every time. There is nothing that we can do to cleanse ourselves of our own sin except for what Jesus has done for us. And when we stand in him, the Bible tells us that he is faithful and just. If we confess our sins to him, that he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If you know that you have not followed the ancient ways, if you know that 
you are more acquainted with Netflix than you are with your Bible. If you have taken more time to stream stuff online, then you have to actually pray and have a relationship with the Father who saved us through Christ. If it's been a long time since you can say you've been productive in anything that you've done, I'm telling you right now, God's solution was his son Jesus, who died for us, who rose again, and who brought us into relationship with him that we also would be called children of God. The only way we're going to find peace is through him. And so we work hard and we serve and we do all those things, but we do it out of a heart of gratitude, not out of a heart of trying to earn what God has given us. How do we do that? Receive him. Confess your sin to him. Say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me and let me know your peace again. I want to know you because he's the solution.